back page, it says, how's that giving going? And I wanted you to, to notice that um, the bracketed numbers mean we're below our budget. And you can notice that all the numbers are bracketed. So um, there's just a need for prayer and for faithfulness, especially for those of you who will travel this summer. I know that oftentimes traveling, the assumption is that since you're not here, the church isn't here. That we just like shut down, there are no expenses or resources. That's really not the case. So um, your faithfulness this summer, even as you travel, matters during what is traditionally a lean season for us. So uh, put that on your fridge and pray about it and do as God leads you through it. I noticed, too, another one of our far-flung ones is here. Dana Ospie's here. Dana, you can wave at everybody. Welcome, brother. We're glad you're here. It's a joy to see you. Um, so this week I was thinking about the coolest thing ever. Okay. And... Uh, in doing my research about the coolest thing ever, uh, I went to Pinterest. I'm not a, not a Pinterest guy. I just want you to know that. Um, but they did have a site that was about the coolest thing ever. And so these are, these are some of the things that Pinterest put forward as the coolest thing ever. I don't know if you can see that. You can use a clean dustpan to fill a container that doesn't fit in the sink. See, they, they turn the dustpan around, you can barely see it, and it runs out the nozzle into the bucket. Oh Is that the coolest thing ever? It's probably not the coolest thing ever, but it's, it's pretty cool. They said that um, you can put a rubber band around an open paint can to wipe your brush on and keep the paint off the side of the can. How, how, cool, how cool is that? Um, this is an umbrella that when the rain hits it, it changes colors. Yeah. Don't you wish that Father's Day wasn't already, already gone on that one? Um, a glass bottom canoe, which is cool unless you're like in Falls Lake or something like that, and then it doesn't really matter. And this, this is almost the coolest thing ever. It's called Clocky. And uh, Clocky, if you, if you put it under your, um, put it on your bed and you hit it, it starts to run away from you. It, it's an alarm clock, and when, you, when, you go to, when the alarm goes off, it runs away, it jumps off the table and runs randomly around under your bed and finds a place to hide. Is that, is that like almost the coolest thing ever? Except for in the morning when you're trying to wake up, right? Um, but they actually started moving in the right direction. They showed this. These are the, uh, the, they call them the eternal lightning fields in Venezuela. And like 160 days a year, 10 hours a day or something like that, it's constant lightning, ju just like this. Um, I say that they're, they're, they're moving in the right direction because the coolest thing ever is the God who makes this and that he is a trinity, okay, that he is one God in three persons, he is Father, he is Son, and he is Holy Spirit. Um, and that, I've been, I've been trying to convince you over the last five weeks that that's the coolest thing ever, that our God is a trinity. Um, why is, this is from the back of Michael Reeves' book, uh, 
called Delighting in the Trinity. Why is God love, he says? Because he is a trinity. Why can we be saved? Because God is a trinity. How are we able to live the Christian life? Through the trinity. The trinity is the coolest thing ever. And we want to continue to wrap our minds around that in a, in a specific sense in the weeks that are ahead. See, God has always existed in a loving community as a father who loves his son and, and vice versa. And, and this, as Daniel alluded to, is what makes God unique, okay? different from Allah of the Muslims. Their God is not a trinity. He is not love. He has not always been in loving community. Um, different from the single person God that even the Jehovah Witnesses would, would worship, who deny the trinity. Isaiah puts it this way. He says, remember this and stand firm. Recall it to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things of old. I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there's no one like me. Okay. The fact that our God is one God in three persons sets him apart from any other God. Only Christianity worships the three in one God who is Trinity. And these three persons exist eternally in loving relationship such that it simply cannot be contained and it spills over. And this morning we're going to talk about that spilling over of the love of God in grace and love and in, in community into our lives. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, this kind of benediction he gives. He says, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God being the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. It's this beautiful overflowing of the Spirit and the Father and the Son into our lives such that the Trinity is the coolest thing ever. And if I haven't convinced you of that, let me recommend a book to you. If I was going to read one book on the Trinity, I told you I'm reading about six or seven at present. If I was going to read one book, uh, this would probably be the book. Um, it's called Delighting in Trinity by Michael Reeves, and I would really recommend it to you. It makes the Trinity delightful. Now, it's about the Trinity, okay? So it's not like elementary school level reading. You're going to have to put your thinking caps on. But he's made it as delightful as anyone could, and I would, I would highly recommend that to you on your reading list uh, this summer when you, when you head out to the beach if you get a chance to do that. Um, the next few handful of Sundays, what we want to do is focus in on one member of the Trinity. We've gone all the way through the Trinity now. We want to focus in on what some people say are the most, is the most neglected member of the Trinity, and that is the Holy Spirit. So for a handful of Sundays, we're going to talk about the good work that the Holy Spirit longs to do in our lives. But he's often neglected, so much so that Francis Chan has written a book by this title called Forgotten God. And uh, his, his subtitle there is Reversing Our Tragic Neglect of the Holy Spirit. Um, now, this neglect, it's due in part to what we saw last week when we talked about the Holy Spirit. That the Holy Spirit is what I called 
the shy member of the Trinity, right? That is, he is bent on exalting Jesus, not himself. So that we see in John chapter 16, Jesus says, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So some of the reason that we neglect the Spirit is because the Spirit doesn't draw attention to himself. He draws attention to Christ. And so when we are full of the Spirit, we love Christ more, we honor Christ more, we look more like Christ. And that's, that's what the Spirit does. But we can also neglect the Spirit just out of fear of what might happen if we open ourselves up to the work of the Spirit that things might get weird, right? And you've all watched enough uh, church on TV where things got weird, okay? Um, there are people barking like dogs and laughing uncontrollably and falling down all over the place and pastors with really bad hair and all that in the name of the Holy Spirit, right? Um, but we can't let fears keep us from welcoming the work of the Spirit in our lives. See, the Spirit produces this in us. It says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. To, to resist or exclude or miss the Spirit, we miss this. We miss His intercession for us. We miss the hope He brings, His guidance, His, His filling, His fruit, His gifts, all things we'll look at in the weeks to come. So in this little series we're going to do this summer on the Holy Spirit, our goal is to, is to welcome His work, um, to cherry pick from amongst all those things I read to you last week, pages of them, that the Spirit does in us and for us. We'll pick some things from those and meditate on those and welcome the Spirit. Because as we saw, we can harden our hearts and resist the work of the Spirit. Um, Hebrews 3 warns us to exhort one another every day as long as it's called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Okay. We want to welcome the Spirit because when we welcome His work, He brings Christ to us. And Christ is honored among us. And it's only by the Spirit's work that we welcome, that we can declare, as Paul says, that Christ is Lord. He says, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. We need the work of the Spirit. We want to welcome the work of the Spirit. And so today, to start that, we're going to look at two things Two great works that the Spirit participates in that often we don't even know He's doing it. We're going to look at creation and the new creation, making us into a new creation, and see that those works are not just the work of the Father and the Son, but the Spirit is integrally involved in those, and we'll talk today about what it means for us to welcome those great works that the Spirit does. Um, again, as you can already tell, I'm going to be all over the Bible this morning again. So if it helps you to chase me, 
follow along. Otherwise, I will put most all the verses up on the screen, and you can focus there if that helps you track with me better. So let's pray and invite the Spirit to come and do His good work in us. Father, we do ask that you would, in mercy and kindness, send your Spirit to fill us and be among us in ways that bring Jesus glory, that make us experience the love you have for us, that you might pour into our hearts this morning the love you have for your Son even into us by your Spirit. I pray that he would help us understand the Word, that we might follow after you in love with all our hearts. So we welcome you, Spirit, to do your work now, and we pray in the name of the Son. Amen. So it's interesting. As soon as you open up your Bible, the second person you meet in the second verse of the entire Bible is the Holy Spirit. Genesis chapter 1 says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God, there He is, was hovering over the face of the waters. So when we we think about creation, we'll often think about the Father creating, as we should. Or we'll think about um, the Son's work. In Colossians 1, it says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. By him all things were created, heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. So we think about the sun. But again, in Genesis chapter 1, we can't even get out of the the first two verses of the creation story. And the Spirit of God is there. It says that he's hovering over the waters. And and that imagery is used elsewhere in the Old Testament. Um, For instance, in the book of Deuteronomy, it says in chapter 32 that the Lord's portion is his people. Jacob, his allotted heritage, and that the Lord found him in a desert land and in the howling waste of the wilderness. He encircled him. So the Lord encircled his people. He cared for him. He kept him as the apple of his eye, like an eagle that stirs up its nest, that flutters over its young, spreading out its wings, catching them, bearing them on its pinions. The Lord alone guided him. No foreign God was with him. This is an image of God caring for his people the way that an eagle cares for the young in its nest. And that's the same imagery that's going on in creation, that in love the Spirit is hovering over creation, bringing that, that care, the Lord's care to us. Theologians often see the Spirit's role in creation as ordering and and bringing beauty into the world as an act of loving care for the young world that God the Father and the Son brought into being. Leon Wood says that the Holy Spirit is the completer or consummator, bringing to final form that which has been brought into existence by the Son at the Father's command. You get other glimpses of the Spirit's work in creation in the Psalms. Psalm 33 says that the earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord, so that creation is an outpouring of the love of God for us. By the word of the Lord, the word of the Lord is often a reference to the Son, Jesus being the word. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth, 
And breath of the Lord is another way to refer to the Spirit in the Old Testament. So by the Spirit, all their host, the host of heaven, the starry host, were made by the Spirit of God, brought into existence. Ten billion stars in our galaxy, which they estimate is one of ten billion galaxies. You do the math, that's a lot of starry host that the Spirit called into being in some way. Job alludes to the creative work of the Spirit. He says, by the Lord's breath, again, the Spirit, the heavens were made fair or made beautiful. So when you walk out under a night sky and you look up, you're seeing the work of the Spirit of God on display. Psalm 104, verse 27 and 30 say that all creatures look to you, Lord, to give them their food in due season. When you send forth your spirit, they are created, and you renew the face of the ground. So it's not just the stars, but the creatures are created and cared for by the spirit in cooperation with the Father and the Son. Excuse me. So this raises a couple of questions that are worth thinking about. And Daniel alluded to the first one. What was God doing in his free time before he made the world? Well, one of the best descriptors of that we talked about a couple weeks ago. Jesus is praying to his father in John 17, and he says, Father, you loved me before the foundation of the world. So before God made the world, he was loving his son, and the son was returning that love. So for all eternity, God has been in this community of Father, Son, and Spirit marked by love. What was God doing before he made the world? God was loving his son. Second question, why did God create the world then? Not out of need, but but out of an overflow of love. Remember Psalm 33, 5 says that the earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. It's the outpouring of God's love into our lives. Michael Reeves in the book that I encouraged you to pick up says, Jesus Christ, God the Son, is the logic, the blueprint for creation. He is the one eternally loved by the Father, Creation is about the extension of that love outward so that it might be enjoyed by others. He says, the fountain of love brimmed over. So the Father and the Son and the Spirit were loving so much that they couldn't contain it, and it spilled over, and the world we walk around in, it's, it's full of the steadfast love of the Lord. So creation is that great act of love, and the Spirit plays a vital part in that. He, as Romans 5 says, He pours into our hearts, God does, through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. It's as though the Spirit's job is to bear that love to us, and that's part of His involvement in creation. He's bringing the love of God to us. It's a work of love, a gift of love. From the Father, Son, and Spirit, too. The Spirit is involved in the creative work of God, making the world, making you and me. Um, The question then is, how do we welcome that work? What does it mean to welcome the Spirit's work in creation? 
Let me suggest that it, it means in part to take time to drink it in. Okay? Uh, John Stott was one of England's great pastors, and he was uh, also a great advocate for loving God by loving his world. And he, he writes wisely, he says, I think it was Sir Francis Bacon, the 17th century essayist, who was the first to say that God has, in fact, written two books, not just one. Of course, we're all familiar with the first book he wrote, namely Scripture, but he's written a second book called Creation. That is to say, God has revealed himself both in the created order in Christ and the biblical witness to Christ. To be sure, there are a number of important differences between the two books of God, between the general revelation of His glory and nature and the special revelation of His grace in Scripture, yet both are divine revelation. He said, here's the point. What God has revealed, we are to study, to explore, to ponder, to meditate on, to make our own and to rejoice in. We should be fascinated by the self-revelation of God and want to study His mighty works. The 7th century astronomer Johann Kepler said that when he was studying the universe, he was thinking God's thoughts after him. And these words are equally applicable to us. Bible study and nature study, he says, are both Christian obligation, a necessary response to God's double self-revelation in creation and in Christ. And then he cites Psalm 111 that simply says, Great are the works of the Lord, speaking of his, his work in creation, studied by all who delight in them. So, to welcome the Spirit's work in creation, you're going to have to probably get outside. Okay? You're going to have to leave the reservation and get outside. And you're going to have to slow down while you're out there, okay? If your family motto sounds like Marines getting ready for a raid, go, 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 okay? You're not going to appreciate the wonder of creation. You cannot do it at a dead run, okay? You need to find a place that you love to slow down in. And just marvel at God. You can, you can walk at Joyner Park. You can sit in your backyard. You can go on a safari in Africa. You can look at the flowers over at Dew Gardens. It doesn't matter. But to honor the gift that the Father has given us through the Spirit and the Son in creation, you've got to slow down and you've got to study it. Not like book study, but like delight in it study. Um, John Stott was an avid bird watcher. He was a birder. Of the 9,000 species of bird in the world, he estimates he saw 2,500 of them. That's a lot of birds. Okay. Birds may not be your thing. Maybe it's flowers, or maybe it's trees, or maybe you love the beach or the mountains. Um, maybe you want to grab a telescope and look at the stars. Maybe you want to learn about clouds. 
Stott urges us each to have one area of study in God's second book, Creation, that we become an expert in. What would that be for you? And yes, guys, this can be done in a deer stand or a boat. But it has to be Godward. It has to take you back to the maker. Okay? It can't just be about the thrill of the hunt. Okay? It has to be, it has to take you back to the maker, to the creator. Um, the spirit. Spirit is active in creation. And to welcome the work that he has done in creation is to delight in it. How will you, how can you, what area of God's creation would, would, delight, would delight you to learn more about and think about and be about in? Okay. The Spirit does seem to have kind of a special focus in creation, though. Already alluded to it in one of the passages I read in Psalm 104. It says that all creatures look to you, Lord, to give them their food in due season. And when you send forth their, your Spirit, they are created. The Spirit is portrayed on numerous occasions in the Bible as the giver of life. In Genesis 2, when, when the first man is brought into being, right? Adam. Genesis 2, it says, The Lord formed the man of dust from the ground and, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. And again, the Old Testament symbol for the Spirit is often the breath of God. Okay. So the Spirit is giving life to the first man, to Adam, and to every man. Job 27 alludes to the same kind of thing. Job's saying here, as long as my breath is in me and the Spirit of God is in my nostrils, that life itself is given to us by the Spirit of God. Okay. To have the breath of God, the Spirit of God, is to have life such that in the, in the Nicene Creed, the, one of the earliest Statements of faith that we still use in the church today, back in 325 A.D., writes about the Spirit. It says, I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. But the Spirit is the Lord and giver of life. And so we welcome this work, this creative work of the Spirit, when we cherish the life that He gives us. And so thinking like this, life becomes sacred, and this becomes a great hedge against someone ever taking their own life. It's a sacred gift given to us by the Spirit. Okay. It's a great hedge against taking the life of an innocent, an abortion, for instance. Because that life is sacred, given to them by the Spirit of God. We welcome the Spirit's creative work in giving life when we honor life as sacred. Now, as the Spirit is the giver of life in creation, just bringing life into existence, He also plays a vital role in the giving of spiritual life in, in the new creation, making us into a new creation. 
And again, this is often the work in our minds of the Father. Peter writes about that. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. It's the Father's work. It's the Son's work. Again, Peter writes in 1 Peter 2 that Jesus himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you've been healed. Yet, this other good work, this great creative work, is also the work of the Spirit. In John chapter 3, there's kind of a clandestine encounter between Jesus and a very important religious leader. He comes to Jesus under the cover of darkness. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. And this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And Jesus is teaching Nicodemus that there is a new life, a new birth that the Spirit must give to us. We cannot do it ourselves. It's as impossible as a man climbing back into his mother's womb. If we are to enter into a relationship with the king and live in his kingdom, Jesus says, this is his language, we must be born again by the Spirit. In John 6, Jesus just says very simply, um, the words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. It is the Spirit who gives life. The Spirit gives life. He does what we cannot do for ourselves. Give us life. Connect us to God who is life. Titus talks about this new life that's available to us through the Spirit when he says, and Paul writes to Titus and he says, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit gives us new life. He makes us new. In Jesus' words, born again into a new relationship with the Father. The whole Trinity is involved in that. And the Spirit plays a vital part. It's by the Spirit that we are adopted into a new relationship with the Father. Paul writes in Romans 8, you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. See, it's by the Spirit that we are adopted into a right relationship with the Father as his children. It's by the Spirit that we are united with Christ, that we share in all the benefits of his death and resurrection. This afternoon, we're going to walk out to the lake 
or into the lake out at Falls Lake, and we're going to baptize a number of people in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And when we put them under the water, it represents that they share in all the benefits of Christ's death on their behalf, and they believe in that. And we bring them up out of the water, it represents that they have newness of life in Christ, a new life. And that comes by the Spirit, Paul, Paul says, in one spirit, we're all baptized into one body. Jews are Greek, slave or free, and all were made to drink of the one spirit. And then he writes of that same spirit baptism in Romans 6 when he says, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We are buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we'll certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. By the Spirit, we are given new life. By the Spirit, we are adopted into God's family. By the Spirit, we are baptized into Christ. We are made one with him. By the Spirit, our salvation is held secure. It's called being sealed. Um, and in Ephesians 1, it says, In him also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. See, it's not just Jesus that saves. You could just as well put on your bumper bumper sticker, the Spirit saves, okay? because He's active in our salvation, in making us a new creation. It's a good work of the whole Trinity, including the Spirit. Now, how do we welcome this good work of the Spirit in making people into new creations? And that is, the most obvious thing is, you believe it, you embrace it, you trust in it. You stop, you stop putting off the decision to place your trust and faith in Christ. You stop making excuses to welcome the life-giving work of the Spirit by believing in the Son, and you can do that today before you leave this room. Maybe you've been coming and you've been putting it off and putting it off. Before you leave today, you can welcome this good work of the Spirit, and you can become born again in Jesus' words, a new relationship with the Father, a new life by the work of the Spirit and the Son. Romans 6 tells us that the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So today, you can turn from your sin and welcome the gift of Jesus becoming a substitute for you, paying the penalty for you, bearing your sin on the cross so that you could have a new life with the Father in His kingdom under His loving rule by the Spirit by the work of the Spirit. You can welcome the work of the Spirit by believing, by trusting in, in Christ and His good work for you. You can also welcome the work of the Spirit in making a new creation by sharing the good news. Okay? The Spirit pours it into our hearts with the design that it would spill over to others that's why, as we saw last week in John 20, Jesus says to his disciples, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. 
And when he'd said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Jesus is sending his disciples and us in the power of the Spirit, in love and in obedience to the Father. We welcome the work of the Spirit in salvation when we share the news that there is a Savior, when we, like the Spirit, exalt Jesus and speak of Him to others. And I'd like to encourage you before we close with two real practical things about you sharing this hope with someone else. The first one comes from John Ortberg, and it's really helpful. He says, when it comes to inviting people to hear the gospel, never say no for anyone. Never say no on anyone's behalf. Jesus didn't give up on people everyone else gave up on. You just never know, he says. And then he says, I remember I was at a banquet I was attending in a secular setting. A group of us were sitting at a table. There's one empty seat, and this guy sat down in it. He was a smooth character. I sat on one side of him, and a very attractive woman sat on the other side of him. And when he sat down, his first comment was to the woman, well, what have you been doing here except turning the heads of everybody in the room? To which Ortberg replied, well, just eating lunch. Um, he says, that launched us into an interesting conversation. The discussion turned towards spiritual things. And at one point, I talked about being at a church for people who don't like church. He said, that's interesting. And he told me about his background. <clears throat> He grew up Jewish, had no involvement in that faith beyond age 12. He had been to a Unitarian church a couple of times and had been divorced three times. He says, if I had to assess someone on the basis of one conversation who was as far away from faith in Christ as could be, it would have been this guy. His name was Steve. I invited him to our church, and I never thought I'd see him again. The next Sunday, he came to our worship service and sat in the front row. He talked with me afterwards and asked me where we got our material. I told him about the Bible, and he got a New Testament. He had never read a New Testament in his life. He started getting up early, and he would read 20 or 30 pages of the Bible every day. He came back to church the next week and the next. We kept talking, and he started thinking about making a decision to believe in Christ. It would be a costly thing for him because of his heritage. His family told him if he became a Christian, he would be dead to them. But he finally said yes to Christ. And the last time I saw him, he was with a friend, and he threw his arms around me and said to his friend, I want you to meet the person who helped bring me to Jesus. He says, I almost missed that because I almost said no for him. Okay. Never say no for anyone. Okay. You've got family members that you think aren't interested, won't believe. It's the work of the Spirit, not you. Okay. Don't say no for them. You just never know. The second encouragement I want to give you in this is really practical, and it's really for you to work out with your small group. There's a little tool that we developed almost 10 years ago at Northway. Uh, Rob Craig put it together. It's called a pep talk, personal evangelism plan. Okay? And we did it back in 2005, made it available to our small groups. I want to make it available to you this summer to use in your small group to talk about using it there. It's an absolutely one of the most helpful things that I've ever been through to help me uh, learn how and be encouraged in talking with my friends, praying for my friends. 
that I love and care about, about the love that God has for them. Really, really helpful. I pulled out, this is actually a scan of my copy uh, that was in my office. I pulled it out and started looking through, and it had a list of a bunch of names of people we were praying for uh, back in 2005. And one of them is a guy named Jerry. Okay. He was one of Rob's friends that we were praying for in 2005. Rob and I were in a small group together at that time. And, uh, and Jerry's here every Sunday, hands lifted in, in worship to Christ. Um, there's another guy that was on my list, and his name was Dirk. And Dirk is my nephew. And my nephew Dirk came to Christ and loves the church, loves Christ, is leading his family spiritually, um, calls me from time to time, says he's listening to my sermons. I guess I'll find out if he's still listening after I use him as an example. Um, but God used this little tool to help us, and uh, it might be really helpful for your small group, so it's available. I hope you'll have a conversation about perhaps if that might fit in um, this summer, because one of the ways we welcome the spilling over of love that the Spirit brings to us um, in the new creation is, is we share it. It's more love than we can contain. We don't dam it up at the edge of our property. We share it. Whether that's sending Jason and Cassie to China or sending you across the street or back home. Okay. We share it. So what I'd like to do now is just pray. Ask God's Spirit to do a good work in us. The worship team's going to come and lead us in song. And if during that time God is prompting you about a way you need to respond to the Spirit's work, if that Spirit is prompting you, you're welcome to come for prayer during that time and, and kneel down here at the altar. You can come alone or with a family member or friend or with one of our leaders who are available in the front rows today over here and, and on this side. We'd love to pray with you. So let's bow in prayer. Father, we see that in love, you sent the Spirit into our hearts as a conduit of your love. We see that creation, the whole creation is full of the steadfast love of the Lord, and that's part of the Spirit's good work. And so we want to welcome that. We want to be a people that don't give in to fear that the Spirit might ask us to do that, which we might feel uncomfortable with. We want to welcome His work. And we want to love the gift of this world that you've given to us. We want to study it and worship you because of it. We want to, we want to welcome the gift of salvation. Christ bought for us. And the Spirit has brought to us and so, Lord, here's the prayer of, of those today in this room who've been sitting on the outside looking in, and today they want to say yes to the prompting of the Spirit to believe, to be born again, as Jesus put it, whole new relationship with the Father as they confess that their sins are great and that Christ is a greater Savior, and they believe. Lord, grant them faith to believe, even now. And then we walk out of this room, Father, and we've got neighbors who don't yet believe and family that we love. And as we heard this morning, whole cities of millions of people in places like China that 
cannot hear. There's no, no one there to tell. And so um, we just want to say yes. We say yes to the Spirit. We want to welcome the work of the Spirit this morning. And so as we close in song, if you want to do that by coming down for prayer, I encourage you to do that. Let's stand. Let's worship our God who loves us.